and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. So in today's episode, we're sharing bad habits quilters need to quit, what we're loving now, a few fun behind-the-scenes stories from an upcoming issue of Quilts and More, tips for using fusible interfacing, and we'll share some heartwarming stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. So let's dive in. I'm here with Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts and More. Today we're going to be talking about bad sewing habits all quilters should quit. I gotta say, Lindsay, I love how I'm the editor. You chose to talk about this topic. Are you trying to tell me something about my sewing habits? It's honestly nothing personal, Joanna. And to be fair, I'm sure all of us in the office, no matter how long we've been sewing, have had our bad quilting habits. Um, so we actually asked our Facebook readers about their bad habits that they want to quit, and their answers had a lot of overlap. Mm. So we decided to compile them into a list of the eight most common bad habits, which we're going to talk about today. That's right. Um, so let's start with the obvious one. Don't hold pins in your mouth. You are not a pin cushion. <laughs> I feel like you see this one in movies all the time. You know, there's like a busy dressmaker. And she's got pins in her mouth. And she's trying to fit the main character for a fancy new dress. It's just such a horrible idea, though. Like, who thought this was safe? Um, it's just asking for a pin to, like, stab you in the mouth or maybe get swallowed somehow. And, uh, yeah, please don't do this one. Yeah, so if if you, I was going to say, if you need them close by, just get one of the wrist pin cushions. They're super handy. Handy. Puns. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they're just right there when you're working on something. Yeah, there was actually a news story maybe about a year ago now of a lady that inhaled a pin Ooh. that she was holding in her mouth. And it circulated around Facebook, and people were saying, like, a lot of people do this when they're, you know, just kind of being lazy with their sewing or in a hurry, and it's really dangerous. Mm-hmm. My my mom does it all the time. I actually got a pin in my foot once. Oh, ouch. So, yeah, that was, that was it. When your pins drop, pick them up. That's like a yeah. little extra <laughs> bad habit to add well, to this Get them list. right away. Yes. Okay, our second bad habit is don't procrastinate so much on projects and in life. I love that the person who submitted this said also in life because don't don't <laughs> so, we all think so that? true. <laughs> so I really personally suffered with this one and have learned that if I'm procrastinating on a project, it usually means one of two things. I'm either out of love with the project and just need to finish it as it is or donate it to someone else to finish or it means I'm overwhelmed with the project. Mm. So when I'm overwhelmed, I always make a goal to finish the project. So it can be a time goal, like I might say I'm gonna work 10 minutes a day on it, or it can be a progress goal, like I'm gonna finish five blocks by the end of the month. But either way, setting those small Mm. realistic goals for me really helps me overcome my overwhelm of it and just Mm. make small steps to help me finish it. That's great advice. It makes it so much more manageable. And in life too. Great advice for life. life. Yes. I'm a big (laughs) fan of goals. Um, So the third one is one that used to be probably my very worst bad habit, which is always make sure to close the shield on your rotary cutter. Uh, When I first started quilting, I was so bad at this. It was a joke that like, oh, Joanna left her rotary cutter open again. 
Um, so, yeah, I got it drilled into me by another quilter with um, a lot of scary stories about things that happen with rotary cutters that you don't realize are open. Um, but I think, honestly, I was more scared of her critiques than the blade itself and all <laughs> the things that could go wrong. But it was really good training, and it saved me from a lot of almost accidents. So just get in the habit, I think, of every time you've got a rotary cutter, if you're leaving the table, if you're done cutting something and you need to grab a different fabric, just close it. It's gotten to the point now where I'm so used to doing it that I don't even think about it. And that's kind of where you want to be because then it's a good habit. Yeah, and I think especially some quilters just throw things everywhere on the Mm -hmm. table or they'll bury their tools. And if you leave it open and you go to grab something Mm -hmm. or you can't see it, you might hurt yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, your next bad habit is not cleaning up after each project or neglecting cleaning the house to keep sewing current <laughs> projects. I love some of these. <laughs> yeah, Our readers are amazing. They're pretty funny. So as a neat freak, I absolutely understand the stress of having a messy workspace and what that can do to your creativity and ability to make progress on a project. And I also understand the guilt that comes with sacrificing housework to squeeze in some sewing time. So I know some people clean their workspace after each project they finish, and some clean more often. So you really just do what's best for you. I'm not going to sit here and say you need to (laughs) clean every day and pick things up. And, you know, don't worry about the housework. Life is too short, and just you deserve to sew. That's (laughs) so true. And I always feel like the housework gets done eventually anyway. Like when I stress over it, I'm like, it it gets done. Usually when company is coming. Exactly. (laughs) So you should invite more people to your house and then you'll clean up your sewing area. Exactly. Have more parties. That's good life (laughs) advice. Um, So the next bad habit is not reading the instructions all the way through before starting a project. And oh boy, I'm guilty of this one. I'm me too. So impatient. And I always want to dive right in, and then I usually get halfway through the project and I realize I don't even have all the materials I needed because <laughs> I, I didn't read carefully. It's, uh, it's like a reading comprehension test. Um, <laughs> or I get stuck on a step and, like, really stuck and want to get rid of the project, and then I realize that it actually makes sense if you read the rest of the instructions because you're supposed to read them, you know, ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So it's a really easy fix. Just curb your enthusiasm a little bit and actually read all of the instructions. And after all, someone worked really hard writing those instructions, usually me, and um, yeah, you want them to be the best they can be. You might as well read them all the way through. Yeah, and a little different than reading the instructions, but one of our coworkers just made a test block for a quilt she was working on, and it didn't turn out the right size, and Mm -hmm. she said she never makes test blocks, and she's Mm -hmm. really thankful that she did because usually she cuts all of her fabrics at the same time, and she was like, I might have had a lot of miscut pieces Mm -hmm. or done something wrong, and I never make test blocks, so it really made me think, like, I might want to start doing this with, um, you know, with patterns that you maybe from a company you've never tried before. Right. I don't usually do test blocks, but I do find that I don't cut everything all at once because sometimes I'll make the block and then be like, oh, you know what? I actually want it bigger. Like, it's correct. It's just it's not what I had hoped it would be. So then that gives me a chance to go correct for future blocks. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, our next bad habit is sewing over pins. So I learned really early on not to do this because I actually broke a needle by hitting a pin while sewing. So yes, it can take a little longer while you're sewing to stop and take your pins out, but it can save you some trouble overall. Absolutely. So one of my first sewing horror stories was I sewed over a pin and broke a needle 
and the presser foot. I'm not <gasps> sure how I did it oh, of someone else's no. sewing machine. So yeah, don't sew over your pins. Oh, lesson learned learn. for me. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't done it since. <laughs> So the seventh bad habit is not changing your needle or rotary blade often enough and or, we're combining these, uh, not cleaning your sewing machine. So I can understand avoiding these tasks. They aren't fun and changing out the needles and blades are an expense. Um, It's so worth it, though, for the improvement you're going to see in your results. Often I'm, again, just a little lazy and I don't want to stop sewing long enough to make these fixes. I like to change out my needle and clean the machine after every project, uh, mostly because that's like a deadline I can actually remember. The project's done, it's time to do some maintenance. It's hard for me to remember otherwise unless things stop working right, which I must admit, sometimes that's when I do my maintenance when it breaks. But it's really me too. (laughs) It's better to do it early if you can. Um, It's also a good idea to take your sewing machine in for routine maintenance to keep it running smoothly. If all else fails, try adding a note in your um, cell phone calendar that when it's time to do some some sewing machine maintenance because I'm always on my phone. So if I put it in there, it'll send me an alert and I'll actually hopefully do it. Maybe do it. Yeah, that's a good idea. I just heard from a lady who says... She always takes her sewing machine in for maintenance over the holidays because she likes to spend time with family and just have a sewing-free few weeks. So it's a good vacation for her to enjoy her time with her family. And then her machine always, every year, gets the maintenance it needs. Oh, that's a great idea. I mean, I find I'm usually too busy to do a lot of sewing during the holidays anyway. Yeah. So. Yep. Okay, and our last bad habit is pointing out mistakes and being overly critical instead of enjoying the sewing process and finishing the project. So as the manager of our social media accounts, I see this one too often. People share photos of their quilts and they always point out their mistakes or say what they wish they did differently. And here's the secret. No one is looking at your mistakes. In fact, I hardly ever notice mistakes and quilts mm-hmm. until someone points it out. And even then, I sometimes I'm like, I can't see that at all. Me too. I can almost never see it. Yeah. <laughs> so just a reminder to stop belittling your talent and putting yourself down. If you enjoyed making it and the quilt is loved, it's absolutely perfect. Absolutely. Just need to change your mindset a little bit. Yeah. So. This was fun, Lindsay. I'm it actually, was. <laughs> I'm actually feeling kind of inspired. I'm like, I need to change my ways. Me too. Uh, so which of these is your worst bad habit? There's got to be one that's your worst. Yeah, mine is probably procrastinating on my projects. I haven't finished one UFO this year. And usually I'm really good at it. And this year I just haven't finished one thing. And it's starting to feel paralyzing to me. Mm. And like I can't start new things because I just have a lot of things on my to-do list. So I really need to tackle that. Yeah. Oh, I do that too. I'm Thankfully, our UFO group on Facebook is really good for keeping yourself accountable. I know I need to start posting there more so that I can have some motivation because I have been slacking on my UFOs a lot this year. Um, I would actually say though that my worst bad habit is probably pointing out mistakes. Half the time I do it without even thinking and then my brain is like, why? Why am I telling them this? They'll never know. Exactly. So. Well, thanks so much for doing this with me, Joanna. We loved hearing everyone's on Facebook, their bad habits, and we can relate a lot to them. (laughs) Absolutely. We all all do these things. You go through the list. That's me. No, that's me. That's me. That's me. Yeah. And ultimately, you just kind of do what works for you, but Mm -hmm. always be safe. (laughs) Yes. Safe and and fun. It's supposed to be fun. Exactly. Enjoy. Thanks, Joanna. You're welcome. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Hey folks, it's Hunter Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Food & Wine. 
This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living and Travel and Leisure, and we want to see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at Food & Wine, Southern Living, and Travel and Leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston. Now I'm here with Joanna for What We're Loving, a segment where we share the trend, pattern, or person we're loving right now. So Joanna, what are you loving now? So I've been seeing a resurgence of string quilts on social media lately, and that's what I'm loving right now. So one of my very first uh, string quilts, one of my very first quilts for that matter, was one that I made using scraps of purple and green fabrics. It's actually kind of funny because I don't really love it anymore, (laughs) but at the time I thought it was the best thing ever. And I was part of a quilting bee, so I gave each person a little brown baggie that was full of purple scraps and one or two green scraps, and I told them to make a block. And it was a lot of fun, especially because everybody put their pops of green in different spots, which kind of surprised me. I I thought in my head there was a logic of where it should go, but they put them where they thought they should yeah. be. And I'm like, that was half the fun was seeing that even though they had a lot of the same fabrics, it still turned out really different. Um, so the top is done, but unfortunately I never got around to quilting it, probably because I don't really love the fabrics as much anymore. But it's on my UFO list okay. for the All People Quilt UFO Challenge. And um, it's actually coming up for this month, so maybe I'll actually get a chance to finish and post it, which would be exciting. That would be so, awesome. Yeah, but... Really what I love about string quilts is they're so chill, you know, like you don't Mm -hmm. have to worry too much about fabric placement and it's always going to look really interesting. It has this great scrappy vibe to it and things don't have to line up super careful. It's just, it's very relaxing. It's a very fun type of quilt to work on. Did you sew your strips onto a foundation or... We sewed onto a foundation. Okay. Yep. Yes. And um, I didn't know any better at the time, so I picked not like a muslin or something. I I picked... um, a regular nice quilting cotton that was oh, like white no. for the background. <laughs> I can't tell you how many of the quilters in the quilting bee were like, what are you doing? You're wasting beautiful <laughs> fabric. But, um, so yeah, I, I did learn uh, quite a bit from yeah. making it, but it was okay. I was happy. So Well, awesome. I can't wait to see it finished. Thanks. I'll, bring, I'll be sure to bring you in and post some pictures. Perfect. Thanks, Joanna. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing Behind the Scenes from the Crafts Lab, a segment where we share a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in the office. So, Joanna, what's your fun behind-the-scenes look? So, today I have two behind-the-scenes fun facts to share about the winter 2020 issue of Quilts and More. Did you know that the models we use on a lot of the photoshops are people we know? Sometimes it's a coworker from another department, other times it's a family member or a friend of a friend, um, but usually there's some kind of connection to a staff member. In fact, you've been pulled in to model on quite a few shots, haven't you, Lindsay? Yeah, I sure have. So I handle a lot of our product features and reader tip type things, so a lot of times I'm down there in photography and they borrow my hands or arms to mm-hmm. use for something, so you may have seen my hands in an issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's one I particularly like where it's like your legs as like a quilt is being bound oh, you're sitting I was sitting in a car a co-worker's car <laughs> yeah a co-worker's car which was very small and showing how to I was faking how to bind a quilt yeah. while you travel <laughs> and 
the photographer was in the back seat and was like basically on top of me trying to get the shot. That's yeah. funny. I forgot. That, I almost forgot about that. See, one. that that one's my favorite because I can just always imagine like all of you crammed around this car. <laughs> but um, but anyway, so this leads into my fun fact about the winter issue, which is that the baby photographed on the baby quilt project and the young girl posing with the advent calendar project are sisters. So both of them are the children of one of our illustrators, and they're both so cute that we love to use them in photos. In fact, the young girl has actually appeared in several photos before, so some of our readers might even recognize her. (laughs) Um, But it's always fun for their mom to see their photos, especially when the issue is on newsstands, because, you know, you go grocery shopping, it's like, there's my daughter. Oh, they're famous. They're famous. Uh, So the second fact is that there's one photograph in this coming winter issue that includes a delicious pastry from a local bakery. And what makes me laugh on the editorial side is that several people review the projects and pretty much every round I've gotten back has had some comment about how delicious the pastry look and how they all wanted to go on like a little field trip to go get (laughs) some pastries. They're like, I don't care about this quilt. I'm into this dessert. Or it's like, (laughs) this quilt is awesome, but the pastry is more awesome. (laughs) But um, they're so good. So I wasn't really surprised. Like, I feel like the photo studio picks pastries just to torment me because I have to look at the file and dream. It's my favorite when they start doing photo shoots for our winter and December things because they buy all these treats and candies and then we (laughs) get them sometimes in the office and it's like an early Christmas like all the cookies (laughs) it is so great it's one of the best work perks I think we have (laughs) Uh, but anyway I won't spoil which project has the image of the delicious pastry but um, when you get the issue which is on newsstands November 15th you'll have to see if you can find it oh perfect I can't wait to see the (laughs) cute little girls and see if I recognize the pastry. Mm -hmm. Maybe I got one. I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) I think you did. Okay. (laughs) Now Joanna and I are jumping into Back to Basics, a segment where we share tips and tricks about a sewing tool or a technique. Joanna, what are we learning today? Today I'm going to share with you two of my favorite tips for fusible interfacing. Even for sewers with a lot of experience, working with interfacing can be a little tricky just because there are so many options out there. Understanding interfacing can be so helpful though if you want to make bag projects or other objects that need a certain amount of body to them. Yeah, Yeah, to me that's the biggest barrier with making bags is that you're using sometimes a lot of materials that you never use in a quilt. So if you're going that direction, it can be really overwhelming. Right. And like, I mean, I've, I've gone to the local craft store and there's just a shelf and it's full of things that all look kind of the same. Yeah. And they have like these tiny little samples and you're like, but I don't know what I'm even looking for. Right. So <laughs> a lot of projects will give you an idea of what they use, but even then you can't always find the exact same thing. Yeah. So um, just a starter, like I would say... Keep in mind, there's usually like featherweight, lightweight, medium weight, and heavyweight. And that's a good starting point because most labels will have something along those lines in there. And that'll at least give you an idea of where to start based on what you're working with. Um, But on to the actual tip, which is that you don't necessarily need to have the perfect thickness of interfacing for your project if you're comfortable with a little bit of improvisation. So I think that's one of the big hangups is I need to find the right one and that's the only one that will work. But I've actually had really good luck sometimes making my own interfacing, so to speak. Hmm. So, for example, I had a dog collar project where all of the interfacing I was finding on the shelf was either way too flimsy, so way too light, or way too heavy, and it wouldn't bend around my dog's neck. 
So what I decided to do was to buy some lightweight interfacing. Um, featherweight would also kind of work, but I, I kept on the very light side of things. And then I cut several strips the size that I needed, and then I would stack them. So I would take the fusible side of one and fuse it to the side without the fusible on the second strip. And then that allowed me to keep going until I got a piece of interfacing that was exactly the thickness that I wanted. So I was basically building my own interfacing until it got to, like, let's say an eighth of an inch. If I need an eighth of an inch, I could just keep building until I got there. Yeah, that's a great idea. And I think a lot of people don't realize that you can do that. Like, there's nothing that stops you from fusing a fusible to a fusible. <laughs> there's no rules. There are no rules, people. You, you just, just do what works. And you just want to make sure you're not buying double-sided Correct. fusible. Correct. This, this tip works for single-sided fusible. Yeah. Um, and then when you finally get to the thickness that you want, there should be one side of your stack that still has feasible on it and you can put that onto your fabric. So that's what I did for the dog collar and it allowed me to make it just as thick as I wanted. Yeah, that's perfect. So, um, but yeah, it worked out really well and that's something that I encourage people to try and it was just by necessity because I couldn't find something that actually worked at the time. So, um, tip really works best with thinner interfacing though. I mean, if you had a need for a very thick interfacing, you could start with heavyweight and build up from there, but it just, it's easier to start thin and, you know, get thicker. Yeah. So, um, that also really helps if you have leftover pieces of interfacing that you don't want to waste because I, I hate wasting things. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, the second tip is just to be mindful of the additives that might be on your fabric pieces. Sometimes you have a piece of feasible that just doesn't want to stick and you don't know why. If you pre-wash your fabric, often fabric softeners are the reason why it won't stick. Um, other times, it's if you're using starch, it can keep the adhesive from not sticking. And one thing I learned fairly recently is that a lot of times the adhesive breaks down over time on fusible interfacing. So if you're pulling an older fusible interfacing out of your stash and it's not sticking well, that could be the reason why. So I actually have stopped buying interfacing for my stash, like just to hang on to. And I've just started buying it for projects as I needed it because then I don't have to worry about if the fusible is going to work or not. But if you do have some older fusible, just do a test block. Make sure it's still working right before you invest it in your project. Great tips. Thank you so much, Joanna. You're welcome. We'll be back after this quick ad break. For this last part of the show, we're going to focus on how quilters are making a difference in their communities. So we're going to start off by doing a little Q&A with Beth Peterson today. So she works in our marketing department of American Patchwork and Quilting. So she handles a lot of our marketing programs and particularly the One Million Pillowcase Challenge. And that's what we're going to chat about today. There are a lot of new things happening with this program and excitement is starting to build as we near one million pillowcase donated to local charity. So why don't you explain for those who don't know about the one million pillowcase challenge? Sure. We started the one million pillowcase challenge nine years ago after we heard a story about foster children moving to a new home with their clothing and personal items dumped into a garbage bag. And we thought there's got to be a better way. What if they had a pillowcase instead? So a pillowcase can be used to brighten a bed and it doubles as a bag to carry items if needed. So we challenged quilters and sewers to make a pillowcase and donate to local charities in their area. Yeah, and people stepped up. So where are common places people donate pillowcases to besides maybe just to like children's shelters? 
which you mentioned before. Yes. So that was foster children. But we hear stories from people that are donating to children's hospitals. That's a big one. Hospitals in general for adults, too. Homeless shelters, domestic violence shelters, hospice, veterans, charities, basically any place someone would stay the night, they'll usually take a pillowcase. So, Beth, why don't you share some stories about how these pillowcases are making a difference? I think people love to hear that. We hear so many stories about how the pillowcases make the recipients feel loved and they provide hope and comfort in a time of need. So here's a recent story we got, and this is from Coral Strickland. And this is, in 2010, her daughter Shannon was diagnosed at age 13 with a rare pediatric cancer. And she fought cancer for three years, but unfortunately lost her battle at the age of 16. And during her treatment, she was able to attend Camp Yukondu outside of Portland, Oregon with her brother. This is a camp for children diagnosed with cancer and their siblings to attend. So since Shannon's passing, Coral has continued to support the camp by making pillowcases based on the camp's theme for the year. So Wild West, Carnival, Space, Under the Sea, things like that. The teenagers who attend then can take one home. And Coral says it's her way of paying back the camp volunteers for the support they give to all the children. To date, she has made and donated 250 pillowcases and says she will continue to do so as long as there is a need and she can do it. Oh, that's so amazing. I know. And then here's just another really quick one. Another one of our participants says she receives the nicest thank you notes from the pillowcase recipients. And one of the notes read, nobody ever loved me enough to do something like this for me. Oh, my gosh. That's heartbreaking. I know. It's really amazing what a simple pillowcase can do for someone in need. Yeah, and the pillowcases only take a yard of fabric about? About a yard and an eighth or so. So it's not a large amount of fabric to make that big of a difference. Yeah, and every pillowcase counts, we like to say. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So what's your favorite method for making a pillowcase? We love what we call the roll-it-up method, and some people also call it the burrito method. And this is a great beginner-friendly way to make a pillowcase. And when this method is used, the seams are enclosed within the band. So it gives it a really nice finish on the inside. And then we like to finish the two side seams um, with the serger, but you can also use French seams with your sewing machine too. So you can check our website for more than 80 free patterns. Our favorite pattern is the roll it up, of course, but we also have patterns for travel size, king size, a pillowcase dress, and a pillowcase gift bag, which is great for the upcoming holidays as well as countless patterns with more decorative bands. Yeah, there is an incredible amount of patterns, and a lot of them are so cute, but we do understand that some of the more complex ones may be a little more time than you want to put in, so definitely the roll-it-up one is. The roll-it-up, and we also have a basic. But those um, decorative bands that are pieced and applique, those are great skill builders, so if you're just learning, that's a really fun way to just get a little practice with piecing different shapes and doing some applique. So we're excited because we're starting to get close to that one million pillowcase mark. Um, So how can people get involved to help us reach that goal? That's right. So far, we are nearly 850,000 pillowcases. And we'd love our listeners to help us reach our goal in 2020. That's the 10th anniversary of the challenge. So every pillowcase counts, as I said before. So don't forget to tell us how many you've made. And we have a counter little form that you can enter your number. And that's at allpeoplequilt.com slash donate. And then for just in general, our our website is allpeoplequilt.com slash million pillowcases. There you're going to find all the free patterns, videos, information on how to get involved. 
And then if you're not sure where you want to donate, you can check out our suggested charity list there, or you can mail the pillowcases to us. So this is new. We're distributing the, ch- the pillowcases then to charities in need across the country. And we also have a special sweep pillowcase sweepstakes running right now. So each pillowcase you send gets you an entry into our monthly sweepstakes for a $200 quilting prize. It's super fun and includes fabric, magazines, and books, notions, and other fun goodies. Um, and then the mailing information for that is at the same place, the allpeoplequilt.com slash donate. Perfect. And we can link to all of that stuff in the show notes. So if you want to get involved, we'll have all the easy links there. I, I think we can do 150000 in one year, right? We're really hoping so. We yeah. Hope so. So I hope everyone that's listening joins in with us, visits the website, makes a few pillowcases, uh, enters for that great prize. Thanks so much, Beth, for sharing this with us and sharing those stories. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Now, Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More, is going to share another heartwarming story and one that hopefully will inspire you to get involved in something similar. Okay, well, I'm first going to start the story off by saying you might want to have a tissue handy because it's real tearjerker. Um, the original uh, story was published online by Ottawa Citizen. Every quilt has a story behind it from the pattern to fabric choices to the time spent putting it together. Memory quilts tell all different types of stories. They're multifaceted and depict different aspects of a person's life. For Megan LaVictoire, the memory quilt made from her daughter's clothing serves not only as a memento of her short-lived life, but also serves as a way for her son to get to know his sister. Megan's daughter, Lauren, was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder at around six months old. Megan and her husband, DJ, found out that Lauren was blind and would never be able to speak. Despite those obstacles, Lauren was a happy, easygoing baby who just loved to laugh. She had bright blue eyes and a smile that could light up a room. It took about two years of Lauren undergoing testing to determine that she had suffered from HABC leukodystrophy. There were less than 100 known cases in the world at the time. Many children who suffer from leukodystrophy live to be teenagers and adults, but Lauren was not so fortunate. She passed away shortly before her fourth birthday at the Roger Nielsen House in Ottawa. Following her passing, Megan spent several weeks sorting through Lauren's clothing so that they could be made into a quilt. It brings up a lot of emotions. It was mentally exhausting, Megan said. She gave the carefully selected clothing items to Ann Donald, a volunteer from the Roger Nielsen House, so she could begin making a memory quilt. At the time this article was published, Ann had made seven memory quilts for patients' families so far. She likes to hang on to the clothing for a little while, just in case the families change their minds. Once she completes the quilt, she leaves it at the Roger Nielsen House for families to pick up. She said she feels it's better to not be there when the families first see the quilts so they don't feel that they have to react to her. She loves being able to make quilts for grieving families and says it's so satisfying to hear the joy they bring. The quilt made of Lauren's clothing serves as a reminder that she's never far away. It's a memory for us, says Megan, a memory of her whole life, all the outfits and events that she was a part of. All of her memories are in this quilt. It was something that we could cuddle up to after she passed away and feel like we were being wrapped in a hug from her. Lauren's little brother, now about one year old, will hopefully be able to connect to his sister through this quilt. Some of the dresses and clothing items that make up the quilt have zippers and buttons that he can play with. I feel that this quilt has healed both DJ and I, Megan said. We want Lauren's memory to live on and we want her little brother to know about her. There is something we will be able to show him and talk about the memories of what we did with her. 
Wow, that's an extremely sad situation for any family to go through. And we know that memory quilts really help a lot of people cope with their feelings. So I'm glad that they were able to get one made out of her clothes. Yeah, it's nice to take a step back and realize, wow, what we're doing really makes a difference. And how nice that, you know, there are volunteers willing to make memory quilts for people. Thanks, Allison. all and thanks for listening keep in touch american patchwork and quilting is on facebook pinterest and instagram at all people quilt email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast and if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us Have a creative week.